So I guess you are traveling back home for holiday stuff. Yeah, so I decided to come back a bit early because I don't really have a job that's like tied to any specific location. Just relax because I've been traveling so much recently. I do understand the irony of traveling just so I can take a break from traveling. However, (laughs) I've decided to ignore that and instead focus on just having somebody else pay for the food for two weeks, basically. I That's very relaking, I think. Uh, I mean, you only have to travel once. Food is provided to you more than once. <laughs> I like food and I don't mind cooking, but the concept of like once you're an adult, you have to figure out your three meals every single day for the rest of your life and like that responsibility can't be offloaded is a little daunting. I think that might be why people get rich is so they can get like the, the personal chefs or whatever. Yeah. Or at least you can eat out for almost every meal and not be like, wow, I'm I'm poor now. And in terrible health. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it'll also kill you. It's but. crazy how bad eating out every day is. That shouldn't be how things work is how it was what I've decided. No, after a magic weekend, I like physically feel like just gross. Because I eat out every meal. Well, at least you got your little healthy nuts and fruit that you <laughs> ate between rounds. Yes. <laughs> it's really going to help you out. You, you do you do a little bit, but then you go and you like eat fries. Like every single Magic Tournament meal has fries for some reason. I limit myself to one fries per That's day. Can't you just wise. go to a place that isn't a fry location? I don't have that sort of control over where we end up. I'm more of a, like, I've made too many decisions today. Like It's a large group. Whoever just puts forth the first suggestion has total rule of where we're going. Yeah, I I feel like I eat at generally, like, pretty good spots. But I also am limited by the fact that I'm a vegetarian. So that puts, like, an inherent restriction on the places that we can go. Yeah, but those places are generally better. Yeah, (laughs) you're damn right. (laughs) (laughs) When is the Energy Champs, by the way? It's January 14th and 15th, I believe. It's the second weekend of January, I believe. Okay. Good. So we still have time for like two more rounds of tier list. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) I think what I really want is by the end of it is to have like a tier list tier list. So we like rank all the various tier lists. Whoever did the best tier lists. Yeah. It's always, it's my favorite when people just start doing like, you know, here's my tier list of people who could beat up a bear sort of the tier lists. My hope, I would like to win. And then when the champs is over, I'll release a new tier list of just how everyone did. Yeah, yes. on their tier list. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the scientifically correct tier list. Honestly, even if you don't win, that's just it how is it still, should be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll do it either way. It really, it's wild how much it, it I don't know, it really caught flame. I think people have been hungry for this sort of thing. <laughs> This is always, I mean, it caught flame for weirder reasons too, but the the tier list discourse is always super popular because people just fucking love rating people. Yeah, well, this is, <laughs> we don't get to do it very often. Or there's no excuse to. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. If you were just to do it out of nowhere, it would be pretty <laughs> cruel and bizarre. <laughs> so it, it takes like an invitational or something for it to be even remotely acceptable. Got to start, got to fire up the uh, energy like open series, not even champs, just like start ranking 300 people. Welcome to the new season, guys. If you're thir- 300th, everybody knows your name. <laughs> we call this guy FNM Bob. Yeah. He's, he's at 300. But watch out. Oh, he's at 297 after a strong 3-3 performance today in the first six rounds. <laughs> after 3-0-ing his last FNM. Yeah. <laughs> and then whatever time we have left, we can talk about some of the spoilers I think I mean, we only got like five cards or whatever. But. It's like Elish Norn is the only card I even remember. <laughs> yes. there's We got like eight arts for every one of the cards, though, so it feels like a lot of cards. Look how many cards were spoiled. It's like 50, and it's just like five cards. It's some basic lands. <laughs> I I think there's almost not enough alternate arts. Is that is that a hot take? I think we should have even more. I won't rest until every player has their own unique card. <laughs> <laughs> Watsy just goes, Watsy starts losing Hasbro money because of the commissions they're paying artists. (laughs) We got to make everything unique. That is the world that I want to live in. That's the wealth transfer that I can absolutely get behind. If only it was remotely 
believable that that is a thing that, that could ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. God, I'm trying to imagine playing a magic tournament where I have to like figure out what all my opponent's cards are. Yeah. <laughs> like on the fly. <laughs> That's always the worst thing when you're when you bobble somebody and you don't know what the card you see on the top of their library is yeah. and you like lean forward to like try to get a better sense of it which of course tells them what card it is like they know it's the one japanese card in their deck yeah <laughs> you just gotta just uh write a card name down on your sheet that isn't the card that you looked at oh my god i heard a story about that carmen handy bobbled her opponent who was like empty-handed with a fetch line in play it was a burn opponent and she was uh at four and uh <laughs> she like wrote something down and her opponent was like oh i get to see that and she like threw both hands over the thing and was like no you don't and the guy was like yes i do you you it's public information if you wrote it down i was like no you you can call a judge you you do not get to see it they call a judge and of course the judge rules that yes if you write down the top card of the deck they have to, you have to show it to them so she's like begrudgingly lifts her hands and it says boros charm and so her her burn opponent doesn't fetch draws a card and it's a land and carmen wins <laughs> I, I I used to do that all the time, but I never got any payoff of it. So I just stopped. So bushly, but, <laughs> but also that, so that sick. <laughs> Man, selling it with the judge is nice. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, that is the that's the part where it it turns from like like great great gimmick, great gotcha into like we really use some tournament resources on this plug <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> I feel like she could have sold it by just like not going that far but you know what it is what it is yeah 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 i mean honestly if you just write it down don't make a big deal out of it and they just glides over you they probably get them anyway yeah <laughs> it's like the covering it with both hands thing though <laughs> like so over the top an oscar winning performance just <laughs> it's really over to the bit yeah yeah <laughs> Welcome to episode 273 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. And we are joined today for uh, hopefully the first of many regular appearances. Second appearance. First regular appearance, I guess. Fresh off of... Finishing out the NRG season, uh, heading into NRG champs, Jesse Robkin, thank you for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. I like to think that every appearance I have is irregular, even if it happens sort of in regular intervals. Well, that's up to you. You have to like make it that way, right? I guess that's true. Another sudden appearance by Jesse Robkin. <laughs> A wild Jesse appearance. <laughs> Uh, so the concept for this is Lee and I are not as active of magic grinders anymore, especially with the disappearance of the SCG tour. So we have not been able to do our, you know, getting out into the weeds and, and really battling it out as often as we would like. So we have invited Jesse to be a regular contributor as sort of, I, I referred to you in an earlier conversation as a war correspondent. So you're, you're going to be reporting from the field is, is kind of how I am visualizing this. So yeah, the, the next podcast is going to be literally in a tournament hall. Bullets whizzing and card shuffling sound effects. I, I have this uh, image of myself in like a rain jacket with like a torrential downpour behind me because I'm in like in the hurricane or whatever. Like, <laughs> It's bad out here, guys. It's real bad out here. I'm going to be honest with you. I just saw someone make Tron on turn four. <laughs> so this, this Tron guy started with Forrest on turn one. So, yeah, I, we have been talking so much about Pioneer over the last couple of months, honestly. So I think it's about time to transition to modern. Jesse, you just played in the 15K showdown, and I know you've been playing a fair bit of modern, particularly Breach, and we're interested in just sort of getting your breakdown and understanding of the format and how it's developing right now. Is there any particular place you'd like to start with that? Sure. It's a bit strange. I think it's been a bit strange since Yorion was banned. There's not a clear best deck anymore, or like a clear boogeyman. A lot of players have their opinions about what the best deck is, but general consensus is that it's one of four to six decks, and 
players who are good tend to have a favorite among those and they tend to win a lot with those so they think this must be the best deck but i think the truth is that all the decks are so close and like it really depends on how well you know it um that said breach is the best deck uh i'm very happy to announce (laughs) jesse are you are you pretty good with breach I'm okay. I, I've, you know, I, I listened to your podcast back in uh, March uh, where you had like a breach expert on, I think. And I feel like I learned a lot from her. So, yeah, I mean, she was great. So hopefully you can follow Replicate in those footsteps. her success. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's hard, though. I will say I've I have had a couple months of doing a bit worse with the deck. Uh, and I think partly it's like my, my own sort of mental game has been lacking a little bit recently. The deck is extremely challenging. However, it's been really cool to see players, like many players, even some I, I, I didn't know, do well in like, it like top eighted several challenges in a row. Like, you know, it's just like any given modern top eight, you're, you're somewhat likely to see uh, at least one breach deck. And it, it's just pretty surreal given the, the position of the deck in March when I top aided that uh, SCG 5K. Like if you had told me at that moment that eight months from now, it will be like a stock tier one deck, I would probably not have believed you or at least, you know, I would have been very excited. So, yeah, it's really it's really surreal. It's definitely one of those decks that took a long time to gain traction. One of those decks that took a surprisingly long time to gain traction, given how powerful it is, like it is not KCI. It like the power levels are not quite comparable, but the, the feeling of just like huh, I wonder if more people are going to start playing this deck at some point, and then eventually they do. Kind of similar character arc here for these two decks. It is like a really punishing deck if you make mistakes with it, and so a lot of players did not really want to put in the time. And also when it was really just me, like putting, who was like really invested in like trying to iterate and trying to improve the deck, um, I could only get it so far, and then when like Ross and Corey stepped in and started improving on it, when like Andrew Ellenbogen picked it up, like it, it started just becoming, it, there were a lot of players much better than me who were like able to look at things like the inspiring vantage that was in the deck at one point and be like, what if this wasn't in the deck? And then, you know, <laughs> now we have a version of the deck that is much better than uh, the version that I was playing like in June, for instance. Yeah. Sure. I, I, and I think these decks always take a really long time to get, any head like traction anyway like even now we're talking about being one of the best decks in modern and i just tabbed through this a showcase six people played this deck yeah there are 18 people who registered mark tide which is like a yeah, similar ish deck way like three times as many players yeah it doesn't i think pe- modern players are just so reluctant to put the card grinding station in their deck and i understand it i understand that emotional sort of reluctance but what they don't realize is that you also get to put the card under world breach in your deck which should have the exact opposite you know you should be very excited for that card so i don't know <laughs> which makes me happy that people are you know playing more prowess because that's a that's a nice you know not going the full combo version but you're still you know putting a bunch of underworld breaches in your deck good job definitely i think there's there's I, and there in my opinion there has to be even more options for breach in modern i wrote an article for cfb a couple months ago about just like different ways to use it. I'm somewhat interested in like a Grixis Death Shadow deck that plays Breach. I feel like that could be pretty, but yeah, I, 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 the card is so good. And it's it's wild to me that it took this long. It took the card like actually winning the game the turn it came down before people realized that it was also good when it didn't do that, you know? Yeah, the Treasure Cruise Underworld Breach is just, this is a really good card. It it does like it's so easy to fill up your graveyard in modern, and there's so few cards that like pay you off in that way. And I I do think that generally there's just a reluctance. There's a certain like subset of players who just will never pick up a combo deck ever at any point in modern. And I think that like artificially depresses like pretty much any combo deck past like given how good this deck is how many players like should be playing it if think everything evens out just psychologically like a lot of players are just not interested in playing a combo deck at all yeah definitely i yeah i, I it, it's just very strange because so there's like you've got like murktide hammer time like scam and breach are like probably the four best decks and then you've got like just below them like creativity rhinos and yogmoth 
And like none of these decks are like a scourge of the format in the way that like four color control was. And it's it's led to there being like like you mentioned prowess. There's also like the, the domain zoo deck that's been popping up. There's the zoomers are back on Jund Sagavon. I feel like on a long enough timeline, it's, it's almost like a it's it, it's a season in and of itself, which is like the zoomers picking up Jund cards, <laughs> Re- registering uh, which, actual Tarmogoyf once again. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's been really. Uh, it's really hard to like get an edge in deck building when it comes to to playing a modern tournament. Um, so much of it comes from like deck mastery and what your sideboard looks like on a given weekend. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I like nothing seems to be breaking through as like obviously this is like what you should be doing. You know, there was a strong feeling for a lot of the past year plus where it's just like you really should just be playing four color that's that's i know it's not fun but that's what you should be registering and i do not get that feeling at all about any deck in this format right now all right so we talked a little about breach hammer continues as always pretty much to be completely acceptable very powerful the lower density of solitudes in the format given the yorian ban has been a huge boon to this deck but again you know the deck is fine. It's I have played against it with several different decks. The matchups go, you know, one way or the other, but it it doesn't feel like, oh, this deck is a problem now because like all the solitudes and furies aren't keeping it down. Is it Murktide is never going to be like a scourge of the format, but it does seem completely acceptable. Although various tweets will have it either at like S tier or as a 45% deck. So hard to know if this deck is playable or too good. It's perhaps somewhere in between i think the biggest issue with murktide is that it's not actually that much more forgiving than a deck like breach Mm -hmm. like it there are so many small edges that you have to gain and like you really need your cards to do some heavy lifting for you you need to like if if, if there's like a percentage bar of like how much your card is like offering to your win percentage in a given moment you need to like be maxing out at that card's capacity in any given spot otherwise you'll fall behind. So I think the deck's a lot harder than people give it credit for and doesn't make up for it by like having sort of instant win moments. Like I guess you could say like Murktide Regent cast with like counterspell backup is almost that, but like... You have to set that up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like, and that doesn't necessarily win the game right away or anything. So um, yeah, I think the deck is strong in the right hands and pretty bad in anyone else's hands. Basically. Do you have any particular opinion on the like cutting down to two Murktide regents? I know some people have a like visceral response to a, a Murktide deck with two Murktide regents in it. Yeah, I I mean, I'll say I haven't played a game with Murktide in like three months at this point. That said, and I understand that the, the reasoning for it is Leyline Binding um, and then also like an increased amount of graveyard hate due to decks like Breach existing. However, it's also just a absurdly strong card. And I think, like, I don't know. I If I was building the deck, I think I would play four of each one drop, three, and then three of each of the other two threats. I guess my real answer is whatever Twinless Twin Max Kamenowski says, <laughs> just do that. That's fair. Any Anytime somebody... I, I, Yesterday, like he tweeted, like selling moto ticks at like 95 cents a piece. Anytime somebody's like offloading like a thousand plus ticks on moto, you know, okay, well, they've probably been doing something right. Maybe I should listen to them about <laughs> what's going on in Magic right now. With regard to Hammer, I think the deck, I, I think that the deck is sort of a product of like, it, it's very easy to leverage your player skill with Hammer. You've got like a good matchup against scam also the matchup against breach is a lot better than it once was mostly due to breach being large enough of like having a large enough metagame share that like you can justify cyborg slots for it like draineth magistrate and stuff like that Mm -hmm. which also double as cascade hits of course you've got scam which i remain skeptical about scam and yet somehow it like continues to do really well it does beat you know the pants off breach but the deck just feels fundamentally weak to me but I guess you can't really argue with its results. In, in my mind, it's, it's just a Jun deck that is doing Jun very efficiently. 
Yeah, it's like it's Jund if Jund had like a tiny little combo, I guess. Like Yeah, yeah. And your combo didn't take like seven turns to set up or something. <laughs> yeah, like a turn one combo. Like turn one four four double strike is pretty absurd, as is the turn one four three that discards two cards. So I, I guess like I understand that. Um it helps, I guess, that there's a lot less like expressive iterations running around, things like that, other ways of just like accruing card advantage off a single card. But yeah, it's it feels like modern is uh, almost like a house of cards in some ways. Like it's a, this fragile equilibrium right now that um, all the various good decks are all like have good matchups and bad matchups. Like it's basically like exactly what, what you want a format to be. And yet also it feels like it could collapse at any moment to me as like a person who plays it a lot. It's very strange. It's got like it's, three stooges syndrome. Like it's they're all trying to yeah. get through the door at the same time. All the cards just feel so powerful that any slight like misstep in the Jenga tower just makes all these cards so oppressive is how it kind of how it feels like to me. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, on the recto scam note, because I also like it. It is always hard for me to believe like, oh, yeah, this is a real deck of 60 cards and 15 sideboard cards that you would want to bring to a tournament. Like, I get it. I My understanding of like why this is a thing is it's like in a, a tacit admission that like Thoughtseize Tarmogoyf is not really a, or at least like a Tarmogoyf isn't really a good enough backup to a Thoughtseize like that's not going to kill that many people Thoughtseize is still good and a Thoughtseize strategy is still something you might want to do and so your matchups are basically like you can win some games by scamming them you can beat other people by scamming them with Dothy Voidwalker or Blood Moon and so your good matchups are matchups where both like either double grief or double fury is good and they're vulnerable to either like void walker or blood moon and then any matchups that like either they don't really they can kind of shrug off getting like double griefed or double furied or they can they're not vulnerable to any of your other like hammer things like void walker or blood moon at any time you can't put those like multiple different things are good then it becomes like oh that's a 35 or 40 percent matchup or something because i just have a bunch of cards that don't work uh as opposed to drawing malachir reverts (laughs) as opposed to like yeah my tarmogoyfs are like fine right i can always put them into play in their four fives before i die but it's like kind of the same thing as like yeah these tarmogoyfs usually aren't very good yeah i think that's a really good breakdown um because that's exactly what's going on. It's it's you've got your a your turn one combo and your turn two threat or whatever. But, right. Um, right. Yeah, and then and then you've got creativity, which I am pretty low on at the moment. Slash maybe always. I mean, it, it does win a fair amount, which means it can't be that bad. But I've I've like seen so many players like mold a five and then have to keep like dwarven mind plus fetch land with their red and six and just like hope that that works and then if anything goes wrong and they're just like all right well like <laughs> uh, yeah any dwarven mind mana base that that deck is always like really held back by its mana base <laughs> to like a, a very absurd degree and no one's been able to fix that leyline binding did not really help <laughs> if anything it's got to make it worse right because you have yeah. like not only do you have to splash a fourth color but you can't cut any of the four mountains that are not mountains <laughs> from your deck like just straight up basically and also your fetching has to be for all like they have to have mountain in the the type line so yeah honestly like the same thing whatever is keeping players from registering combo decks generally keeps me from registering the leyline binding decks just because i don't really want to think about the fetching for that particular for those needs and i would just rather do anything else with my modern games it takes like i mean in double creativity i get it like that's impossible but if you're playing you know most other decks with leyline binding in it it takes like you know two games of practice it's not very hard <laughs> i know but i just don't I don't want to. I don't know that the payoff is worth it. <laughs> I'm just too. It's bad. I'd just rather cube than figure that shit out. Yeah, as evidenced by our podcast <laughs> delay today. <laughs> and then I was hoping that you could explain Domain Zoo and why that has become a thing again. I don't. I. This is one that I. I, I can't understand it. I can never understand Domain Zoo. It, it, it just like whatever part of my brain can like figure out. Oh, yeah. 
these creatures work well in the format because of this reason. Like Wild Nacatl, I just is in a gigantic blind spot for me. I can't do it. Yeah, I will say I don't. I wouldn't say I understand it, but I could attempt to explain it. Which is, I think uh, Stubborn Denial is very good right now, um, and Leyline Binding remains very good. Although I don't think there's like an excellent home for it. In modern, it seems like like all the de- there's a bunch of decks that that started getting like playing it more, uh, and it's certainly been powerful in all those decks. But I don't think it's been enough to make those decks uh, like good. Like but like we talk about creativity, it's also true with like rhinos that started splashing uh, for leyland binding, and I'm seeing players going back to just like straight teamer um, uh, rhinos and finding other. Uh, color combinations for creativity that doesn't involve splashing for Leyland Binding. Uh, the card is great, and I think in this deck it's very good because you, you're you already sort of doing the things that um, uh, you need to do in a Leyland Binding deck. Like, you're already a domain deck, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, the, the, like, ability to be very aggressive and have some amount of disruption and just, like, an absurd amount of reach with Tribal Flames does seem well positioned to me. I am not necessarily sold on the specific construction of the deck right now. Wild Nakadal does not spark joy. Uh, Nishoba Brawler does not really spark joy, although I understand it turns on Stepper Denial, so maybe it's just necessary. But boy, does a two mana, three toughness creature like that, I don't know, just dying to bolt just feels yeah too scary yeah. to me. I I tend to agree. Um, I. I... I do agree, like, the Stubborn Denial part, like, nobody else gets to play that card, and that card does seem really, really good. Yeah, I've also seen some players starting to play Expressive Iteration in the deck, which seems kind of sweet to me. I don't really like the Remand, uh, the, the, like, decks that are playing Remand. I don't know. <laughs> I have seen that. It's, it does it's... seem like the kind of thing where, like, you have, uh, you could build, like, on a 100-card Zoo deck that would look roughly the same, uh, because there's so many options, but... I, I'm not sold that like people have figured out the right collection of options yet. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And then of course this deck just gets to be a Gigantha deck just to make me like make my skin crawl looking at the list even more. But yeah, stubborn denial is good. Leyline binding is good, and then any creatures with power that are cheap, I guess, go go along with those things. Just having an, a, like an absurd amount of removal too for your Ragavan is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it such a crime to just play Tarmogoyf instead of Nishoba Brawler? You do you do have an artifact creature and an enchantment and a Rummager. Yeah, I think yeah, if you're not I, thought seizing them, like Tarmogoyf just takes so long to get four power. It also doesn't have trample, whereas Nishoba Brawler technically does. But again, does, like what 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 are you trampling over when you have three toughness? I don't know. You're trampling over one thing and then it's dead. <laughs> Yeah, but when you're playing Tribal Flames, every every point of damage counts. That's true. I don't know. I I, I never really got Domain Zoo. I don't think your payoffs are like the best payoff is Tribal Flames. Like that's just the best one. And you're just trying to cross the finish line with kind of the derpy creatures that you pick up along the way. That's kind of how it always feels to me. I know it's not seeing quite as much play, but the territorial Kavu dress down interaction is really just the yeah, it's terrible. Most terrifying thing in the world to me. Territorial Combat is a pretty strong card. It's just it's got a classic case of twenty twenty two or like twenty twenty plus design of just like it two mana five five. But also let's have it do two seemingly unrelated abilities whenever it attacks as well. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff going on on that card. To be fair, the abilities are like kind of medium. Apparently, like the playtest version of it, it started out with like a naturalize as one of the options for it, which would have Jesus been pretty Christ. wild. Oh, see, I I didn't hear that, but I heard that the the rummage ability was an impulse draw, like a light what? Stage. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's what play that's what playtesting is for. Yeah, I, I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we'd be praising domain if that's alteratory kafu red. Right, if it were just completely like you get to play the best two drop of all time, then yeah, you make some concessions. Tarmogoyf plus plus. And I mean, Rhinos has definitely had a certain amount of resurgence. Some playing Leyline Binding, some not. I don't know. Any thoughts about just this is kind of the the main Cascade deck that does see play these days? Any thoughts about this? 
I am not a big believer in Rhinos uh, as a strategy. I do think Arcane Proxy is a pretty big upgrade for that deck. Being able to have more than just four copies of Rhinos in your deck seems like pretty valuable. It's like being able to reuse them, basically. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's a totally fine option, but because you don't have very many like ways to smooth your draws or accrue card advantage, uh, I don't think that the two four fours are just like are enough to uh, cross the finish line most of the time. Sure, okay. the classic rhinos problem. You're just <laughs> you're playing this unfair mechanic with a fundamentally fair game plan. <laughs> so. I, I watched uh, <laughs> the like my friend Zoe, who plays a lot of Living End, who's on feature at the Energy, and she was playing against rhinos, uh, and our friend. Uh, Nick Shirillo, uh posted a picture in like a Discord we were in of, of uh, Zoe's board of like a bunch of creatures and the Rhinos player's board of nothing. And it, it was just like POV, you registered the wrong Cascade deck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I do want to point out this particular build of the creativity deck that got, I don't know if it's actually third place, but it top aided the modern challenge on saturday this is like a jund version really just uh, honestly like a black red version just splashing for red and six and it is a persist version and your discard outlets are bitter reunion fable of the mirror breaker and misha's command is actually a nice discard outlet nine and ten and both misha's command and bitter reunion can give your archon haste which is, I think, actually like a really big deal. I think there's a decent number of games where putting an Archon into play usually wins. There's some percentage where it's just like not quite enough, but giving it haste wins those games. And I think that the Bitter Union Misha's Command slots for discard outlets in your Persist Creativity deck. Uh, I, I think this list is really cool. I just wanted to point that one out because I, I was impressed by it. I definitely think this list has more is more appealing to me than other creativity lists that i've seen i like having the added like persist element of the deck and it also seems like uh the ability to give the archon haste makes up for the downside of like part of the reason we saw these reanimator decks fall off uh a while back is putting one archon into play especially if that archon's a five five just isn't good enough mm-hmm. um and this is a way to make it good enough because you get two triggers out of it so I think there's a definitely potential here. Your mana base is a bit better too, since you're not trying to splash a fourth color or, or a fifth, fifth color. color. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you're mostly a two color deck, just splashing green because red and six is completely bonkers. Red and six and Fable is such a powerful combination. I think that it's possible there's, there's room for more to explore with those two cards in tandem together. Sure. Any other thoughts about modern? Are there any decks that you think are overrated? Is there anything that you think is like a, a sleeper right now? Anything that should be showing up more? Yeah, I, I think the format's just like pretty cut and dry. I mean, there's a ton of these under the radar decks, like, or not under the radar, but like sort of fringe decks with like Domain Zoo and things like that, that I think have potential. I like that like Merfolk has been kind of like quietly doing pretty well recently. You have that Spike uh, Asmo food deck that showed up. Um, I think yeah, that deck cool. was a flash in the pan. Uh, all uh, Asmore decks are. <laughs> yeah. Etron sort of quietly ha- having a resurgence, I think, despite me in particular. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, there's nothing that I think is like quietly busted. I think, like, I think, I still think Breach is underplayed. Um, I think the deck is very, very, very good. It's like being respected as one of the best decks, but it's not getting played like it's one of the best. I also think Yogmoth is remains sort of under the radar in a weird way i think that deck's quite good um mm-hmm. although obviously it, it struggles a lot against scam so i think that's probably one of the main reasons why it hasn't really um that my understanding from my friends who play a lot of yagmoth is that the matchup against scam is unfixable maybe one day scam will fall off or something i don't know that's a deck that's basically constantly on my radar even if it's not putting up results is that just mostly a fury problem or is i mean i guess it's a fury plus voidwalker problem really yeah i think both fury and voidwalker are just like disgusting against them it's also like pretty susceptible to blood moon blood moon and grief as well like all, all, all of their cards are yeah. great all right <laughs> like that's the problem okay that i guess that's how you make it an unfixable matchup is all of their cards are good against like, you like you can hedge against fury and you can play around blood moon to a degree but you can't just do like all of the things all at once without having your deck be just like a garbage pile yeah and if they sandbag 
fury for like until they have a void walker in play like oh my god <laughs> you just like exile <laughs> three things like holy cow yeah can i point out a sweet deck that i noticed in one of the challenges please uh this is more of like a one of kind of cool it's a uh, 10th place jeskai stoneblade is what it's called by Beatbot online uh this is the the cutest little uh stoneforge deck you've seen i opened this expecting it to be like you know a ragavan control deck Ooh, which it does play a, ragavan it's a goblin but engineer deck yeah, it's got Goblin Engineer, Brea's Apprentice, Phyrexian Dragon Engine, and like one of each of the Thopter Sword combo <laughs> with like a bunch of artifacts that probably shouldn't be in the deck, <laughs> like Lightning Greaves. But I mean, it's sweet. They got 10th place. I like the Singleton Combat Courier to tutor for with Goblin Engineer. <laughs> yeah, it's value. <laughs> You can unearth it back and then sacrifice it to engineer to get something else. It's also a, a technically a draw to with Saga, so that that you can get with Saga. So I love Combat Courier, honestly. Like that's one of my top drafted commons from this set. I think it's the best blue common, probably. It's very very good. I would buy that. No, I love. Yeah, Combat this deck Courier. seems very cool. This is a deck I wouldn't mind sleeping up and just playing for fun. Though yeah. I don't, you know, it's not going to break modern or anything. It's just sweet. I don't. I hate Bray as apprentice for one. I don't think that card's very good. Yeah, Phyrexian Dragon Engine's very good card. Yes. Yeah. Not quite Modern Horizons level, but it's very good in a exploitable type way. Yeah, it's just good with Engineer. You can Malakir rebirth it. <laughs> yeah. Someone was doing that at the NRG and Pioneer. They were playing like a Rakdos Scam and Pioneer with like the Flesh Gorger, the Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. Uh, and the Phyrexian Dragon Engine, just finding different, like, you can, like, sack it to village rights uh, after Malachy rebirthing it. That's sick. Yeah, and with the Flush Gorger, it turns into the 7-5. Yeah. Very cute. I, I can't get behind it in Pioneer, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, well, but though I do respect anyone... Yeah, I do respect anyone trying to have fun in Pioneer. That That format is hard to do that sometimes. Yeah, as soon as you try to have fun, you run into you get carned yeah yeah my understanding is the the scam deck is one and zero against ross merriam so it must be great <laughs> scoreboard uh, <laughs> if anyone can lose a game of magic to an unplayable deck it's it's definitely ross <laughs> he has a whole highlight reel about it oh does he i've never seen that no it's just like all the unfortunate things oh, that that's just that ross. that has happened yes i have i have watched him lose on camera to unplayable decks uh, a disproportionate number of times <laughs> do we want to talk a little bit about upcoming nrg champs i don't know if you have given much thought into prepping for this tournament yet or just you know what you're thinking about going into it but i i'm definitely interested in an inside view into the nrg invitational yeah it's so it's a really interesting i i've never played in a small field tournament like this before um can you like break down the details of the tournament for people who like don't know what it is yeah, so essentially the NRG Champs is the culmination of this past year of NRG tournaments that has been happening. Um, there's 16 players who qualified a variety of different ways. Uh, some qualified by like being at the top of the leaderboard at the end of each season. Uh, some qualified by winning specific events they call showdowns, where the, the winner gets to auto-qualify. And then some qualified... Uh, at like at large bids basically being consistently pretty like doing well throughout the year um and so there's 16 of us this field is pretty stacked uh, if i do say so myself i am pro i feel like i according to which tier list you listen to i'm anywhere from the eighth <laughs> to the like 12th best player in the uh, uh in the room so there's a lot of very good people notable players like andrew ellenbogen who i am uh teaming with uh, for this tournament, which I'll talk about more in a second. You know, you've got a lot of energy regulars like Connor Mullally, uh, Ivan Espinoza, Piper Powell, many, many excellent players. The aforementioned Twinless Twin, Max Kamenowski. I don't know why. Everyone always calls him twin, Twinless Twin. I guess it's just a, a catchy, a catchy uh, moniker. <laughs> but um, it's going to be in early January or mid-January, I guess. Um, and it's a two-day tournament with a very strange structure. It's modern and pioneer. We'll be put into two different pods of eight. And we'll play every other player in our pod, alternating formats. So not every player will get played. You won't play pioneer against both players. 
or, or, or you, sorry, you won't play both modern and pioneer against each player. We will play one against half and the other against the other half. And at the end of that day, the top two players get uh, a buy in the next round. Uh, the bottom two players get eliminated, and the middle four players play against the other four in the second round, which I don't remember if it's modern or pioneer, but it's one of them. And then at the end of that, two to four players are eliminated, and the third round happens when um, I think maybe it's two players are eliminated or something. I don't know. I'll have to I'll obviously know by the time it comes around. Anyway. Yeah, this sounds uh, a lot like the last scg invitational which seemed mostly designed it's super complex to have nobody have no idea what was going on in any given match whoa whoa it was designed solely to make the one person who paid super close attention to the rules feel like a god as all their friends just kept asking them what the rules were <laughs> yeah i'm just going to play the person they point me to at the beginning of each round and with the format that they tell me to play against them. But essentially it's two formats, Modern Pioneer, and you'll play everybody at some point. You'll probably play everybody at in every format at some point. So it's a very holistic preparation process. Some amount of metagaming, but not a ton. 16 players is like kind of a lot for a small field. I mean, the way it was put to me was like, there are 15 other players in the room when you have 15 sideboard slots, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nature finds a way. <laughs> one for each player easy yeah perfect. yeah exactly hopefully oh, yeah many people are playing the same deck <laughs> so you're working with andrew and anybody else i'm working with andrew and then several players who are not qualified for the champ so basically for this sort of thing if you're testing with more than one other person from the champs uh, from from the same field it starts to get pretty scuffed and it becomes pretty hard to really get anything productive done. You could maybe do it with like a total of three people. But yeah, we're, it's just us two and then several of our friends who are not in the champs who are gracious enough to help us, uh, you know, be bounce ideas off of and be testing dummies for us when we're playing. Uh, is there anything you're looking forward to in particular about this tournament? I mean, it's supposed to, I mean, I, I, I'm very excited to play against nothing but good players all day and play uh, just like high stakes, high profile magic for an extended period of time. Um, it's going to be, uh, my understanding is there's food provided, which I'm excited for. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're going to get, you know, some swag like jackets and stuff like that. I think it's going to be one of my favorite magic weekends I've uh, had in my time playing. I'm excited for, as someone who really gets, who enjoys getting into the weeds of like um, trying to predict what metagames will look like going into it. That was one of the things going into the RC that I was really trying to do a lot of is like figuring out what I was likely to see in the in the room. Um, that's a thing that I am really looking forward to is just like lots of spreadsheets and uh, educated guesses <laughs> and backup guesses and things like that. And ultimately, I don't know how much it's actually going to impact the deck selection just because they're like, you can't really metagame for 15 people or I guess in our case, 14 people um there's just too many people to actually like make it you can't be like well this person's bringing this deck which means i can't bring this deck because there's 13 other people that also matter so so yeah it'll be very interesting and you don't find out what pod you're in until the tournament day of or okay. correct That's yeah good. That's good. so i could like you know say person x is playing deck y almost almost certainly and i'm like well i can't play breach because it's bad against this deck or whatever and then I just like don't get put in that pod or whatever. I don't know. There's a lot to consider for sure. Yeah. That's also not to say that I'm playing Breach. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember after the SEG Players Championship, uh, Collins and Zan played in that one. And I remember them talking about it. And one of the like big takeaways from it and like how it was, you know, Every match was against an excellent player. And Collins in particular was talking about how just like physically exhausting the process was just because there were no free matches. There wasn't anything relaxing. And just like at some point he almost mentally like just checked out because it was so difficult to, you know, kept playing, kept playing well, but like couldn't quite process anything else because the matches were so intense and just back to back to back. So I don't know if there's anything you can do to like prepare yourself for that, but that is one thing that I have heard about this type of tournament is that that is not easy to to deal with. That's really good to know. I do think that when I'm locked in, I, I, I do, I'm pretty good about like, you know, doing like mindfulness exercises and stuff between rounds and making sure that I'm like laser focused when I'm playing. 
However, I, I sort of fell off doing that in recent months. Yeah, I, I fully anticipate it to be a challenge because we all know how physically drained we feel after just like a normal Magic tournament weekend. So playing against, you know, where there's not a single, there won't be any free wins. I don't know. I, but that personally makes me really excited. Like I, I love that. I'm, I'm, I would much prefer to always play against excellent players than to never play against excellent players. I think it's going to be a really great weekend. I don't want to like put you on the spot or anything, but I know you have, but, but here we go. I mean, whatever. (laughs) It's a, it's not a live show. It's a podcast. We can cut stuff out. I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but you have tweeted about in particular one, one misplay that you made that stuck with you. But I am curious just to hear your thoughts on like what's going on with your focus and stuff. And if there is some way that you want to work on it, or just if there's any of your takes on on what's going on with that and what you think players should be doing would be pretty interesting i think yeah should i just should i talk about the misplay yeah yeah we can use that for context and then just kind of go from there to more general discussion cool yeah i'm happy to i was in contention for player of the year uh at the energy series um this year i was uh, in first place after season two and then because of part partly because of a couple uh weekends in a row of uh, not not super satisfactory results, I would say. Uh, I was in like third place going into the weekend that we just had against uh, Zach Allen, who was ahead of me, and then Connor Mullally, who was in the front. At the end of the weekend, or going into the, the Pioneer 5K at the end of the weekend, it was down to all three of us were still in the race because we had all roughly kept pace with each other the previous day. And specifically, if I won the tournament and neither Connor nor Zach top-aided, I was going to be the player of the year. And in round seven, which is the last round of Swiss, it was uh, Zach had was X2 and was out of top eight contention. Connor and I were both five and one, and we were paired against each other in the final round, which meant I had the opportunity to knock him out of the tournament and set myself up for a uh, a top eight run that would not only secure me an RC invite that I want, a trophy that I want, but also make me player of the year. And I felt as locked in as I'd ever felt I was so focused. I, you know, I was taking my time. I was planning out my turns and I was playing mono white humans against Connor on mono green devotion. And in game three, I had three, like my, my next three turns planned in my head. Connor put like an old growth at troll into play to block. And I was like, I'm going to exile this with brutal Cathar on my next turn. I'm going to play Thalia's Lieutenant and pump my squad. And on my third turn, after this, uh, I have Brave the Elements in hand and I'll be able to make my team unblockable in, in alpha. And then I untap, draw my card, and it's uh, one drop. It's a hopeful initiate. And I think, oh, great, my Thalia's Lieutenant. Now I have another thing to play with it to like make the turn even better. So I slam Thalia's Lieutenant. I pick up my hand to like find the, the hopeful initiate. And then I see the Brutal Cathar and I look at the old growth troll still on the battlefield. And I think, oh, my God. Like, more than anything, I just felt like surprised, like, I couldn't believe that I had, you know, I I had basically thrown it at that point. And I I went back and watched the the match uh, the next day and realized that if I had quickly adjusted to the new game plan that I found myself in, um, I could have still won the match by making better attacks and, like, just basically seamlessly shifting into a different role. Uh, But instead, I was flustered and I sort of took, like, a halfway line and it gave Connor enough time to catch up. And on the broadcast, he top decks Karn on, like he has one draw step basically to save himself, and he top decks Karn, which kills me. But he shouldn't have even it shouldn't have even come to that. It, it was it was pretty crushing. I was pretty like upset with myself, pretty disappointed, and again very just like just so surprised that I had had that brain fart in such a crucial moment. And I think it's emblematic of like a thing that I intend to continue working on in my game and I think that everybody would benefit from working on which is being just hyper intentional as you're playing your matches of magic that you are like you aren't thinking about other things you're not like you don't have another browser tab up and like watching a YouTube video or a Netflix show or something that you're just like being fully in in the moment and you're stopping and you're thinking and you're breathing and you are not rushing through things because I think that if you do that like if you are thinking through a play and you have no idea whether you're supposed to like cast this card or this card 
that's one thing. But most of the time, most players, I think, do know the right play if they thought through all the various implications of the various cards they could cast. I know for me, I generally feel pretty confident once I've stopped and had that that thinking process. And so my goal going forward is to play less magic in general and be much more like because when you play a ton which is part of what happened this this past fall when you're playing all the time they sort of blend together and you start going into autopilot and you stop like really considering your options as fully as you otherwise would i often think about like the time i played delver for the first time in legacy in paper and i like had one of the better tournaments i've ever had because i was like i'm unfamiliar with the format and so i had to really like but like think very carefully before I, I did anything. And I just think that like, I know I will be much better off when I'm playing quality over quantity is basically my motto for 2023 when it comes to magic is just like, I, I don't want to, I, I just refuse to make mistakes. <laughs> I, I, I won't do it anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to like take the, I mean, if I make a, if I make a wrong judgment call, that's different than making a mistake in my opinion. So mm-hmm. that's sort of where I'm at. Um, have you watched or heard any of the stuff that like that Nathan has guested on after Worlds? Like he he was on Dominari's podcast. He was on like Canister's stream, and I think he has, uh, you know, a different approach to preparation that doesn't focus as much on getting games in. That um, it, it was really interesting, and I I think I was happy that I had listened to it, and I would encourage other people to to go seek that content out. Yeah, I, I saw a little bit of it, but I, I definitely, that's the thing I would like to listen to more of. Uh, also, my friend Ash Johnson, Shutter MTG on Twitter, I think, or something like that, uh, recently wrote an excellent article about this subject, about uh, how bad practice makes you worse at magic. <laughs> uh, I highly recommend that people check that out because it's an excellent, excellent article. And I think many of us are guilty of this sort of like half-focused games of magic that end up reinforcing bad habits yeah i that hits a little too close to home (laughs) i I i'll definitely go read that i'm gonna open a tab right now so i have it i don't forget it's one of the best magic articles i've ever read i don't know if i can deal with being called out like that (laughs) yeah it's really interesting and 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 making a mistake like that it's it's really hard to sit with right because you you play back the moment in your head over and over again and you're thinking i like, oh, I know what I should do. Like, like it's so easy to have these, they call it counterfactual thinking in psychology, where you're like, if I had just done this different thing or if this slightly different thing had happened, it would have been fine. And that's not, that part is actually not helpful at all. Like, it's, it's pretty actively harmful. However, the motivation of that sensation of feeling, uh, it's like, I don't know, it, it, they talk about like ghosts being like these restless souls that like can't be put to rest or whatever. I feel like that in my chest I've felt it basically all week thinking about that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just so eager to have a chance to overwrite that with a new sort of memory or new moment. And I can't until I'm in an equally important match uh, and I have a chance to play better. But when I am in an equally important match, I promise right now I will in fact play better. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting thing. So I don't want to like, I'm not beating myself up about it, but boy, does that sensation not feel good. Yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I do want to like... I'm trying to figure out the way to say this that is actually helpful, but like, like you can never overwrite that moment, right? That moment itself is always going to exist, but that's like very okay because if it leads to any level of improvement, any other decision-making in the future that helps you avoid that situation, you know, like it's part of your history now, it's part of who you are as like a magic player and even as a person and i mean ultimately you know it's a mistake there's no moral weight attached to making a mistake in a game of magic the gathering the consequences feel dire but it's just a thing that happened like you have a few different options you can get really down about it you can forget about it completely and just like not worry about it you can use it as impetus to improve and you know it's kind of your choice how you like take it from here but it is always going to be there you know yeah that's a good point i would have worked a lot both in my life and especially like in the last year and especially, especially in the last couple of months on mental health and like uh, things like that. And I am very much against like beating up on yourself, being hard on yourself. I don't think that is productive in any way when it comes to like taking care of yourself. But that's not, that's also, it's a weird tension where it's like, you also want to be uh, 
you also don't want to do it again, right? I don't want to do it again. So it's like, I, for me, it's about just sort of like sitting in that sensation of, of making that mistake and thinking, uh, uh, and just like experiencing it. Cause I also don't want to like not feel my feelings, you know? And so it's a, it's a very interesting spot. Uh, and it's been interesting to sit in it for the past few days. I have not played any magic the past few days. I won't play it for the next few days. Just taking a break. Yeah. I have a, like a misplay in my history that like sticks out in my head. I will remember it forever. And it's like a really bad version because it was like a, an example of me just not paying enough attention and not thinking enough about the game. I just had like a crucial spell that I needed to resolve against death shadow years ago, years ago against Grixis death shadow. Uh, and my opponent like flashed in a snapcaster mage uh, and pointed to the stubborn denial in his graveyard. And I didn't process like he can't actually fetch a blue source in order to catch the stubborn denial or he will die. And I was just like, all right, you got me. And then I scoop my cards up. And then 10 minutes later, I realized like, God damn it. And I, I walked up to him. And I'm like, did you get me with that stubborn denial? And he's like, yeah, I, I got you with that stubborn denial. And I was like, ah. and then I, uh, he I actually ran into him at a recent tournament and he was like, do you remember this? And I was like, yes, I think about that almost every magic tournament that I play in. Like I will never forget that moment and I will never be gotten in a similar way again. I don't know though, if my approach, cause I, I still like got very, very lucky and top aided the tournament that that happened in. So the consequences of that misplay got mostly erased. Uh, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't usually beat up on myself for mistakes, but the fact that that one just lives in my head forever and fortunately did not have like serious tournament consequences because of it. I don't know how hard I would have been on myself if like I had missed top eight because of it. Yeah, I've had two other ones that stick out in my head. And in both instances, it was like in a finals match where it was like it cost me, it, it could have cost me the game. In one, it did, but the player had already told me they were conceding to me so that I could get the RC invite, and so it just meant that I didn't get the trophy. And then in the other one, um, I ended up winning because my opponent made an even more egregious misplay, uh, <laughs> and that was in the finals of the NRG team tournament where I got to double spell Pierce. Uh, anyway, uh, point is, yeah, it's this is the first one where it's like actually had consequences beyond just my own development as a player, and I think that like or like my own sort of pride or whatever. Um, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been really, it's been really interesting, but I know everyone has this sort of experience at some point in their time. Yeah. I want to put in my little, my little two cents here. I don't want to go too deep into it, but the, I think it's good to just like take your time, take breaks and I'll, I'll read what Ash has to say because I respect her and I'll, I'll see what she has to say. But the more useful skill to me i make a ton of mistakes all the time i'm not like the best player i'm pretty good but i make mistakes what i am actually good at is trying to figure out like divorcing myself from the mistake and figuring out how to win from there which is something you touched on in your prime example uh the game against connor uh and i i think mistakes are unavoidable they're just gonna have unforced errors essentially where something goes that you just misplayed at some point didn't have to but it happened uh and recovering from that is huge but a lot of that is mental state and not letting the thing you just did get to you and i think that is hugely important as well and i don't want to like overlook it yeah we got to get that that scam artist mental coach uh from years ago was will will jonathan was that the guy <laughs> oh <laughs> gotta, wow, gotta that's help, a throwback <laughs> get him here to help our mental resilience <laughs> Fired from Channel Fireball was the site he was writing for. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Titty Pills, T I double D Y B I double L S. That's where a lot of the stuff I th- like think about magic gets regurgitated. I write for Tolarian Community College now regularly, and I write for um, uh, Channel Fireball as well. So you can find me on find stuff that I've done on both of those. I will also be soon launching a Patreon. I was hoping to do it this week, but then I really needed a break, but it will happen before the end of the year. So be aware of that. That's where a lot of like breach specific content will end up as well as any other deck that I'm working on. How about a sideboard guide? Uh, maybe. Yes. And, oh, can don't I... you worry. There will be sideboard guides. <laughs> I can get a sideboard guide. Fantastic. 
all the sideboard guys you can shake a stick at. <laughs> I don't know, I can shake a stick pretty good. Also, I never understood that expression at all. I'll look it up later. Yeah. This is not the MTG etymology cast. I don't know, you'd be surprised how often my Google searches are X etymology. <laughs> Well, awesome. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And um, for everybody who enjoyed this, we will hopefully be having you back. I, I think we, we talked about once a month from here and, you know, we'll see how things progress from there, but that should be a good baseline. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to next time. I oh, love it. Love having you. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We really, really appreciate your time and have a great week. Bye. Au revoir.